You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Bengals leading the Bills 21-7 at halftime. Bills will get the ball in the second half. We're taking a timeout with our football discussion to talk a little Knicks. And for that, we turn to uh, Christian Winfield, Knicks beat writer for the Daily News. Christian, welcome to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me back. You know, I feel like last few times we were on this show, we were talking Nets. So uh, it's nice to have a little change of pace. All right, so what's well, let's talk about that for a second. What's that transition been like for you? Let, let's let's take this is going to be a moment for all um, expiring I- aspiring <laughs> journalists. When you're on a beat for X amount of years, uh, Christian, I think you'll bear this out. There are some publications that men that mandatorily make you switch to another team, uh, or some sometimes it's a reporter moving on to a better position somewhere else. But what's that transition like? What What is that like about, uh, you know, Christian, building other con- sources and contacts and stuff like that? Give give our aspiring journalists a little, a couple of minutes of what it's like being in the field. You know, I, I feel like one of the constants in my career has always been be ready to always, number one, always be ready to say yes when, when the moment comes, and number two, always be ready to adapt. And, uh, I mean, as, as everyone knows, Stephen Bondi's done an amazing job covering the Knicks for the New York Daily News for I don't know how many years, and he ends up going to take the New York Post job covering the Knicks, and it becomes available to me, you know, pretty much two weeks a week before some before training camp starts in, in South Carolina. So on one end, I'm, I'm still got my eye on the Nets and trying to figure out, okay, is Ben Simmons going to come back with his camp time with the flag? And then on the other side of my mind, I'm like, yo, I might have to book a flight to Charleston, South Carolina, and figure out this Knicks team that I haven't even had a chance to really pay close attention to for the last few years because, you know, as a beat writer, your your time is not really yours. It belongs to the team that you're covering. So it, it's been a dream come true, to be honest. I mean, this is the team that I grew up watching when I was young, and now to be able to call myself the Knicks beat writer for the New York Daily News, I mean, the, the high school version of me is smiling on the inside. And uh, now it's, a, you know, it's go time. I'm watching Julius Randle, Jalen Brunson. I'm watching these guys try to – String together some wins because it looked a little ugly. But to be honest, they're they're on the they're on the door. If they're knocking on the door right now, if they string some things together, namely Julius Randle's got to start hitting some shots. Uh, but if all, the whole team as a collective starts making some more shots, this team could be they're two and four right now. They could easily be four and two if a couple other shots go their way. All right, Christian. Let's let's talk about uh, some of your sources and your reporting. Uh, Julius Randle is not this bad. Okay, I know fans look at him and say, oh, St. Julius Randle, we've got in the postseason, and he's no good, he's washed up, he's over, he's done, he's finished. Christian, he's not this bad. So what I would think is, is it possible that he's still recovering from the offseason ankle? Is it just a slump he's going through? Uh, what, what, are you, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? You know, Julius is a guy who's going to come out and say, I don't have any excuses. I've asked him a couple times now, how has your ankle surgery impacted the start to your season? I mean, when you just look at the numbers alone, out of all the players who are averaging 10 or more points in the NBA six games in, Julius Randle is shooting the worst field goal percentage out of any of them. He's shooting about 27% from the field and 26% from three-point range. It's not the same guy, right? I got to cover the Knicks playoffs a little bit at the end of their run uh, last season. And he obviously he hurt himself in, in that second round against Miami, but this is a guy who was pretty much a wrecking ball out there to get to the rim wherever he wanted to. He was potting up from three, knocking down shots. He's missing layups. He's missing wide-open threes. He's turning the ball over. It, it's not a pretty sight if you're Julius Randle or any of his fans. That said, 
You've got a team that's sticking by him. You have both Emmanuel Quickly and Jalen Brunson saying they believe in him, that he's going to get his shot on track. And, and you've got a coach in Tom Thibodeau who's kind of saying the same thing. Now, Julius is saying that, you know, there's a lot of crowds in the paint when he's driving. He's saying he's not getting clean looks. But, I mean, at the end of the day, you're a star player in this league. You're probably not going to get those clean looks like you used to. So he knows himself. He's got to take a, a step forward in terms of making down, making open shots. But uh, when you listen to him and what he's saying, he's saying, hey, I don't necessarily want to be on the ball as much. He was talking about wanting to be off the ball, moving without the ball. It's not something that we've seen from him over the course of his career. But it sounds like that's what he thinks is going to be the fix to this offense. We've spoken to Tom Thibodeau about that. He's saying it's a work in progress. It's early, and that's the other thing. Like, we all knew the Knicks had the toughest opening set of, I think, seven games out of any other team. You've got just playoff team after playoff team. You have a couple contenders in the Knicks. I mean, tomorrow they've got the Clippers, and you've got James Harden, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Russell Westbrook. It's, it hasn't been an easy go. Uh, but at the same time, I think that this team is really just a Julius Randle making shots away from, you know, being a little bit closer to 500 and having a, a better feel about the start of the season versus their two and four having lost some winnable games. Jalen Brunson had 45 the other night, and because Julius Randle shot five of 20, they let a win over the Bucks slip through their fingers. So there's some answers that this team is looking for, but at the end of the day, it's all back on Julius Randle. If he's not efficient, if he's not dominant, this team is not going to have the same success they had last year. Christian, you don't know how happy Nick fans were to hear you say that Julius Randle thinks he should be off the ball more. You don't know how happy. You don't know. You don't know. And, 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 Listen, I, just to interject real quick, I, I, I couldn't believe it when he told me this. I, we're, we're sitting there in the locker room. He just shot 5 of 20 in Milwaukee. And I'm asking him, you know, it's me and, and Fred Katz. They were asking him, hey, you know, what's going on with your shot? And then he says, you know, I think there's some things that we can do differently in the offense, and that's my cue. Once you say that, I'm like, okay, well, what do you mean by that? And he says, you know, number one, there's a lot of ISO. There's a lot of pick and roll. I think we can have me coming off the ball, off the ball more, getting downhill more. And, you know, for him to be saying that and for him to be someone who has been primarily an ISO-heavy player for the majority of his career, I mean, I'd like to see what that looks like, mm-hmm. right? But now when you go talk to Tom Thibodeau about that, he's saying, and to his point, this is the truth, when a guy is shooting poor on open three-point shots, it really doesn't matter how much spacing you got. You got to make some shots, right? You got to hit. You got to hit your open shots. The Knicks are getting, and it's not just Julius, right? You got mm-hmm. Josh Hart. I think he shot 0 of five or 0 of six or whatever it was from three the other day. Like, and they're missing R.J. Barrett, who's been out for two days. This team has a lot of moving parts, but at the same time, you know, they're going to go. And I've said this the, the entire time. They're going to go as Julius Randle takes them. And uh, if he's not shooting well, that has a ripple effect across the other guys. So I'm looking forward to him to getting back on track. It might not come against the Clippers because that's a talented team, but you got some games coming up uh, that we could see him get back on track with for sure. I'm really interested to see uh, Jalen Brunson, Christian, uh, because coming on, yeah. I mean, I know he didn't play a lot overseas uh, in, in the tournament this summer, but when the ripple effect you're talking about is very simple. If Randall continues to struggle and RJ Barrett's been hurt, I mean, teams are not going to continue to let Jalen Brunson beat them. He's going to start to see double teams to be able to force for somebody else to make some moves. Uh, what are you saying? What do you think? You, you know, that's a great point. I, I think number one, Jalen Brunson has a chip on his shoulder. Uh, he doesn't really like talking about it. If you bring it up, he, he tries to deflect, but he's a guy who did not play well in the world cup over the summer right he he got he had ample opportunity and he took you know credit to him he took ownership of the situation he didn't play well he said that's the reason team usa lost 
I think he's coming out to prove that that's not who he is. I think we're going to see a close to the version that we saw of himself in Milwaukee where he went for 45 and then not too long before that where he had eight threes. That's what this guy is capable of, right? And if you just got decent basketball out of Julius Randle, this team would probably be closer to three and three, maybe four and two. You know, when you consider they dropped that Celtics game by, by like four points, they dropped the Milwaukee game by five points. They lost in the second leg of a back-to-back against the Cavaliers. They lost in New Orleans. I was there for those games. I mean, these are games that they're losing kind of at the last second where you would expect a guy like Julius Redding to step up. And Jalen Brunson has shown time and time again that he can step up. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for him. I, I think for him we're looking at an all-star caliber season, especially if Julius is the guy who's struggling right now and Jalen is carrying the ship uh, this early. This is a guy who is not shying away from the moment. This is a guy who I think is just a great quality leader in terms of who you can have running that point guard position. But to your credit and to your point, I mean, if you've got Jalen Brunson going for 45 and you still can't get a win because Julius is 5 or 20, then th- there's some issues there that need to be worked out. So I think we're going to see that kind of get worked out in real time. we got this Clippers game, then we got San Antonio, Charlotte. we got a few games coming up. Uh, this team needs to figure it out because if Julius can't hit shots, you know, with them or not, they got to find a way to win these games, whether he's going to hit these shots or not, uh, whether it's Jalen Brunson, whether it's R.J. Barrett. I think we could see Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson is a guy who's got all the athletic ability in the world, but it seems like he gets lost in the mix on offense because the team doesn't try to find him. He's a guy that I want to see get more lobs uh, and just get more easy opportunities at the rim. Uh, and then you've got this, this team's second unit. You've got a lot of guys on mm. this bench. You've got Emmanuel quickly. You've got Dante DiVincenzo, Josh Hart. Uh, even even Deuce McBride's getting some minutes off the bench now that R.J. Barrett's missed the last two. I mean, this is a talented team from 1 to 9, 1 to 10. Uh, it's just about, honestly, it's about Julius stepping up and being the player that we saw him be last year. Christian Winfield's my guest, covers the Knicks for the Daily News. It's The Drive on 98.7 ESPN. Christian, um, I know this is a difficult question to answer because nobody really, you're not really sure how this rotation is going to go with Tom Thibodeau. It could sure. go. Just, just ask Evan Fournier. He, he, he'll tell you. You never know how it's going to go. But eventually, do they need some more height? I, I'm, they just seem to be kind of small in that second unit and the depth behind uh, Julius Randle size-wise. Yeah. That's a, that's, a, that's a great point that you bring up, you know. So what they've been trying, at least what we saw in preseason, was Tom Thibodeau go to that double big man unit where he had Jericho Sims and Isaiah Hartenstein on the floor at the same time. Now we see, we've seen Isaiah Hartenstein play well. I, I'll tell you, I'm not sure if we have very many better, you know, starting and reserve big man tandems than Mitchell mm-hmm. Robinson, Isaiah Hartenstein. I mean, Isaiah Hartenstein is a guy who's going to play his role. He's a great uh, passer. That's something that I wasn't really aware of before I got a chance to cover the team on a, on a consistent basis. He's a guy who can make a play out of, out of the high post. Uh, he's going to crash the boards. He he can shoot the three. I'm just not how sure. I'm not sure how consistently he can hit it. But then you've got a guy in Mitchell Robinson who I feel like is just perennially one of the best rim protectors in the in the league. Uh, lob threat that the Knicks need to find uh, on a more consistent basis. But to your point, this is what happens when you trade a guy like Obi Toppin and you don't go replace that size off the bench in free agency. I mean, you traded him away for two second round picks, and you just expected Josh Hart. I mean, Josh Hart is a great rebounder for his size, but when it comes down to the actual size and strength aspect of it, he's not matching up with some of these guys who are, who are bigger and stronger, even though he's, he's going to go out there and get you a few boards. So, sure, there's a, a, a height and size discrepancy maybe in the front court, but at the same time, 
if Julius is playing well, he's a guy that you expect to be on the floor about 75% of the minutes anyway, and he's pretty much matched up at that size. And then you can use that small ball to your advantage. The team that wants to shoot a whole lot of threes, get out in transition, play defense, crash the boards, right? That's, that's Tom Thibodeau's MO, and Josh Hart kind of fits that. So I, I like the small ball aspect of it. I think a lot of these, you know, maybe micro issues that we're seeing get covered up when Julius Randle plays well. And that's why I say everything kind of falls. And, and the same thing goes for a lot of teams and their best players, right? When your star player is playing well, it doesn't matter what you have going on for the most part. Uh, he's going to be able to cover up some of those mistakes. But when he's not playing well and you're seeing how kind of the burden gets shifted onto everyone's shoulders, now it's like, okay, well, Julius has got to play better, right? And even though we're not even talking about him, we're talking about reserves. Okay, Josh Hart is playing but if Julius is playing 40 efficient minutes out there on the floor, then you're not really noticing those minutes. So mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of the, the, this team's maybe uh, potential to make moves really will depend on whether Julius snaps out of this cold shooting streak. I think he will. He's a guy everyone is saying is putting a lot of uh, work in on getting out of this slump. It's just a matter of when it happens. Uh, Christian, give me your thoughts about the NBA Cup. <laughs> oh, man, I can tell you. I can tell you with some players and with some coaches, some coaches are not even moved enough by the financial incentive to care, right? Like there's about $500,000 out there. And then I think 75% of that is split by your, your assistant coaches. The other 25% goes to coach, something like that. Some of these coaches out here, like, I mean, that's fine. And credit to them. They make a lot of money. I, I, I would love for a regular season, you know, attempt to make a half a million dollars. But for some of these guys, it's just, okay, well, now we're trying to figure out what these, I mean, did you see some of these courts they had? Yeah. They had, I mean, the, the court in Milwaukee wasn't terrible, but Indiana's court being all all what was it, all blue. I think Chicago's court looked like you're playing with the devil. It was all red. It was it was it was ridiculous. I couldn't believe it. So uh, I think there's some some things that the NBA has to work out in terms of like like for example the Knicks their first cup uh, their first World Cup game at home is going to be on an orange court and the ball is orange. I was talking to Mitchell Robinson about it. He goes, yeah, I think the ball is closer to brown than it is to orange. But when you're looking at it on the TV, that basketball looks orange. So it, it'll be interesting, but in terms of actual competitive nature in some of these games, I mean, I can only speak to what I saw at the end of that Bucks uh, Knicks game, mm-hmm. and that game got very competitive down the stretch. I don't know if that was because it was a, a it was an in season tournament game, or maybe the Bucks just didn't feel like losing to the Knicks on the night. But if you're getting that type of energy at the end of some of these World Cup games, or World Cup games, we're calling the World Cup games, in season tournament games, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a good feel. I, I like that Adam Silver is trying new things. Uh, let's see where it is in a year or two. Yeah, and and you know that and trying to make sure that the players play on national TV. I mean, this is it. It is it's 65 games. Otherwise, you can't be you know. Uh, eligible yeah. for any postseason awards. I mean, you know, listen, Greg Popovich started this years ago by telling, you know, Tim Duncan, don't even get on the plane. <laughs> You're resting this game. You're not even coming with the team. And now we're in the situation where, we, you know, load management is a thing. Yeah. I mean, well, well, look at it from this way, right? R.J. Barrett has missed the last two Knicks games. And, uh, you know, I asked Tom Thibodeau about this earlier today. He said he's not sure if this is playing a role. But when you think about it, R.J. played in the playoffs until the middle of May, and then he rested for a little bit, and, and then he went right into the World Cup, which ended in about the second week of September. And then you got training camp that starts a few weeks after that. And when you start to add some of the load up, you talk to a guy like Josh Hart earlier, and he's saying, hey, you know, this is the first time Josh Hart had gone to the playoffs. So to go from the playoffs to World Cup, now right back to, to NBA play, it's no wonder he's not shooting the ball very well, right? He says he needs to get his legs together. So, you know, from one perspective, I do understand the load management argument for some guys. 
But at the, on the other end of it, I mean, you've got guys that are just sitting out and they feel fine, you know, and then some of those guys are given a bad rap. So the guys who are actually hurt and they can't play in the second game for back to that, like for example, Ben Simmons, I, I wouldn't expect him to play in the, in the second mm-hmm. leg of a back-to-back given, you know, you can't really push him like that because he's got a, a, a pretty a, an injury that, that needs time to heal in between games. But some guys are, are fully healthy and they're sitting out for no reason, right? So, you know, no, I, we have to understand the league has this broadcast uh, negotiations deal coming up pretty soon in 2025, and they want to make sure all their players uh, are available. But at the same time, you've got a lot of people that want to see these guys play, right? So I understand what the league is trying to do. Um, I hope that the two thousand come to some sort of happy medium because we all want to see the guys play. We just don't want them to be putting themselves at risk. And we're seeing some teams kind of at that crossroads. So we'll see how it unfolds. Uh, last one, Christian. Do we get a chance to see RJ tomorrow night, or do you think he needs another couple of games? Oh, no, no, no. I, I would I would, I would, would bet that he's playing. Uh, Tom Thibodeau said RJ Barrett was a full goal through practice today. Uh, said he was questionable, but pretty much that it, unless there was a setback tomorrow, he expected him to play. So RJ is a guy who's averaging 21 points a game. Um, and it's just surprising the way that it's come pretty much so easily for him. And I figured this would be the case because he played well in that second-round series uh, against the Heat, shot the ball really well. Uh, and then you go to FIBA, and he really played well with Team Canada, even eliminated two of his teammates, Jalen Brunson and Josh Hart, in that bronze medal game. And he's the second-leading scorer on that team behind Shea Gilgis-Alexander. I, I figured you know, this would be a great trajectory for him. Um, and this is a team that needs him, especially with all the pressure that Julius is facing right now with his shot not falling and Jalen playing the way he is. If you get R.J. back out there, he's a guy who's going to take some eyes and take some pressure off of Julius, having a really good season. Uh, I think this could be the, the breakout year that we've been waiting to see from him for a long time. All right, Christian Winfield, uh, congratulations on the new beat. Have fun, and uh, we'll talk to you down the line. next. Hopefully we'll figure out what the Knicks are going to do because I – it's so funny, Christian. I still keep hearing these Donovan Mitchell rumblings. Like it's so funny. Yeah. It, it never goes away. It never goes away. They, you they got California you're sitting those on the bench. Rumors, yeah, those trade rumors are never going to go away, especially when you consider he's from here. Uh, the Knicks have always been looking for that superstar player. Uh, and his contract is going to be up soon. And a lot of people don't think he's going to resign in Cleveland. And if he's not going to resign in Cleveland long term, the best thing for them to do is to do what? Trade him for something in return. The Knicks are a team that may or may not want him. So. We'll see what they're willing to give up, and we'll see if it happens. So stay tuned. It's going to be interesting. All right, Christian, thanks for a couple of minutes. We'll talk soon. Thank you. Have a good one. All right, you too. Christian Winfield talking next. Let's, let's get your thoughts on what he had to say. 1-800-919-3776. We'll come back take your Nick calls next on 98.7 ESPN. You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Next to the top of the hour, then Jay Bromley, the former Giant, will come on and talk, get back to the NFL. Uh, Steve's in Jersey. Steve, you're next on 98.7. Hey, good evening, man. Uh, just want to chime in on the Knicks. Uh, listen, mm-hmm. I think the season is very, very early to kind of pass any, any especially any kind of negative judgment on the team. Um, I understand that they're off to the start that we want, but like I said, it's very early. I think we should wait until least our star break uh, in February and see what this team is like and, and see what kind of production they have as long as they're not, you know, significantly under 500, 15, 20 games, which I don't think they will be. I think they'll be okay. Um, one thing that this team does have is depth. I think we're a very deep team, um, and as long as they get their feet under them, I understand Jalen played a lot of, you know, uh, basketball over over uh, in the off season as well as RJ, but I think they'll be okay. Uh, I'm not panicking. 
Um, like I said, you know, outside of Boston and Milwaukee, the East is wide open. And if you want to give the MVP that third spot, out of respect, Philadelphia give that third spot. But the Knicks should land anywhere between four and six. Seven and eight would be a, a disappointment for me in the season. They should definitely be out of the uh, – they shouldn't be in that play-in tournament. So anywhere from four through six, and I'll be happy and, and see what happens in the playoffs. Um, but I think we should relax a little bit as Knicks fans. I'm confident in the team, confident in what they've done so far, all season moves, and uh, we'll see what happens. So, Hi, Steve. Thanks for the phone call. Uh, I agree with you. It's early. The concern – here's the concern. The concern is that really this offense is based around Brunson and Randall with an assist from RJ. RJ is really the third guy in this in this scoring offense. And when your number, depending on who you who you think, I mean, for me, I think Brunson's number one and Randall's number two. There are some who think Randall's number one and Brunson's number two. And the ones that think that Randall's number one, most importantly, is Thibodeau. So when you have your leading guy on a team that really doesn't have consistent scoring, okay, where you don't have guys, a bunch of guys that you know, okay, I know I'm getting this from this guy. All right, you've got, and listen, you can say that numbers will tell you anything you want them to say, okay? Julius Randle has averaged a double-double. Usually twenty and eight or twenty and nine or twenty and ten or so twenty and something like that in points and rebounds. All right. When your first or second option, Steve, is shooting the worst in the NBA at this point percentage wise, that's a concern. And so you hope that it's just a shooting slump. You wonder if it's because he's not getting lift because he's still coming back from the from the ankle injury. But when somebody says to the media that I need to be off the ball and other people and then let me, you know, do some other things, that that's that's not him saying that let's put it this way. I'm my interpretation is not okay, I need to sacrifice some points and, and I need to sacrifice some points and how much I touch the ball to get everybody else involved. That's, you know what? I'm not shooting well and I'm not feeling well and I think somebody else needs to take the slack so I can't do what I've done. For him to say, I don't want to hold on, I, you know, I don't want to get as many touches as far as dribbling is concerned. Listen, I would stand and applaud, especially after one game where he had eight turnovers. I would stand and jump up and down and say, finally, okay? But it's it's not what he said for me. It's why he's saying it, okay? And that means that he knows he's not right. And the question becomes, is it better to minimize his minutes now than to continue to log him more minutes until he is healthier, if that is the issue? 1-800-919-3776. More calls next on 987 ESPN. You're listening to The Drive with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. The former uh, NFL lineman will talk a little bit about some of the things he saw on this Sunday. Right now we're talking Knicks with Spike and St. Pete. Hey, Spike, you're up late. <laughs> yeah, well, I got to talk a little I got to talk a little hoops with you. I won't reiterate what we talked about Friday, but uh j- just a point in hand to the last caller. 
Um, Nick should be four and two. Uh, the top of the East is obviously stands alone. Boston and and Buddha and I spoke earlier this evening off the air, and we agree on everything. I congratulate him with uh, subtraction, addition by subtraction. We get rid of Harden and it'll loosen up uh, Maxi, and and they have cap room. So I'm happy for him. And you know the Knicks are his second team, and we both agreed without having any agendas. Uh, Boston. It's it's even with KP, it's it's and and uh, they made out for this season with uh, getting the point guard from Milwaukee and giving up Marcus Smart and Memphis is off to a rough start. But be all that as it may, the Knicks are the contention. Boston last year, last couple of years, has been the worst team in the NBA who's made the playoffs in, in the last three minutes of a close game. Mm. Uh, they uh, they just don't have that closer. They don't. Milwaukee uh, looks to me after a short window. I've watched them carefully. You have one of the top ten players. You have two of the top ten players in the game. And uh, what bothered me about the Knicks game the other night that you know, and I'll share it with the audience, is that you knew that the Dame would uh, get the last two or three possessions. Uh, Randall uh, is totally uh, checked out between his ears, and and most people who know his game agree with it. He just uh, doesn't score. He's reluctant to shoot. The dribble's loose. We know all that. He's in his 10th year. Nothing's going to change, Larry. Mm -hmm. Nothing, unless he sits a little bit. He's got to sit. And and it's going to the other players in the team are going to get anxious. They can't give him the ball. They bring it up over the eight second line, and then he starts again. Now you're down to less time, worse shot, all that. But he didn't uh, leak out. Uh, he leaked out, but he didn't help out when Grimes, who uh, you and I have talked about, he just looks tired from yeah. chasing a guy three to five inches bigger and twenty to forty pounds heavier. You can't stay in front of Damian Lillard. You're going over the screens. Everything's wrong from a defensive coach. And the offense is just so boring. So the solution, I think, is to sit Randall down because he's reluctant to do anything with the ball that's even taking more time off the clock. We realize that from Atlanta. Brunson's going to get exposed by getting beat. I mean, physically taking a beating. Mm-hmm. And so, so what do you do? The offense is boring. That last caller, I believe, mentioned the word deep. Uh, I agreed with that until I realized we have five guys that are almost the same player. They're yeah. all six five. They're, they're, they're three and D guys. Uh, none of them are a great shooter. Grimes may turn out to be one. They finally ran some plays for him the other night. Mm-hmm. Finally, but but you got Pepecenzo and Hart. Uh, they're seven and eight on a top top team. Six and seven, six and eight. They're three and D guys. You could close the game with them on the court to protect the lead. They don't turn the ball over much. But Brunson's taking a beating. And and uh, RJ is almost seems missed more. Now, RJ's a really, really good player that was drafted a bit too high. And when you look at the other two guys, so, you know, I'll take the guy that shows up and plays every night. That's what yeah. I want. Good, good soldier. His defense looks a little better. He's changed his free throw shot. It's up eight or ten points. What do you do with the ball? The, the offense off of a made basket. Forget transition. That's just uh, happens. Off of a made basket, you and I could draw it up if we couldn't see. It's just so boring. You and I have talked about it. To share with the audience what we talked about, how you and I feel when Mitchell Robinson comes out to take that weave. Uh, is it, thanks for the phone call, Coach. Uh, it's, it's Mitchell Robinson. It's a guard. It's a forward. It's, it's, it's 
Hartenstein. It's 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 somebody. It's somebody going to the top of the key, setting the pick, and then the player either goes left or he goes right, and it's just uh, we all know what it is. Can't you come up with something else? And what's funny is you'll see Thibodeau on the sidelines, like let's go, pick up the tempo, and sometimes they won't. They. Re- the Nick half-court offense, it looks like it's such, most of the time, not all the time, most of the time, it looks like it's such hard work to get a shot off. It's hard. And, you know, you got people, and, and now people drop in the lane. So, you know, it, it's even harder to get shots off. And then you look, the shot clock's running out. You've passed to the left side. You've passed to the right side. you pass all around the perimeter of the circle. But you're not moving toward the basket. So that's the issue. Plus, you got, I mean, you, you know, you you, know, you got all, plus you got all these lefties. Right, RJ's a lefty. Brunson's a lefty. You got, um, you know, Julius is a lefty. Once again, I still believe that Randall is not done. I still believe he is going to be better. I think his shot will be better. I don't know if he's healthy. I don't know. He's not making any excuses. You heard Kristen Winfield say it. Covers the team. They're every day. He's that guy. He's not going to make excuses. He's not going to say I'm not 100%. He's not going to say that. He's just going to say, I got to be better. My shot's not falling. I got to be better. That's what he's going to say. And he's right. He's got to be better. But the team knows. Okay, the team understands what's wrong. The team knows that he, if he's healthy or not. What is the team doing to try to make it a little easier for him? Okay, now hopefully RJ comes back and he should be in the lineup tomorrow night against uh, the Clippers. And, you know, hopefully he'll his shot will be the way it was when he went out. Because really he had been the most consistent offensive player for a couple of games before he got hurt. So hopefully his shot will be the same way it was when, when he left off and that will take pressure off of Randall to do other things, rebound, get assists, move the ball, help keep the ball moving, you know, and, and it also will give, you know, Brunson somebody else to help him out. That's what you're hoping. And yes, once again, we know, it's early. It's only a couple of games. And yes, they should be four and two. If they hit some free throws, that would help them out as well. More of your calls next on 987 ESPN. Running. Trying to move the ball on the ground. Doing a good job. They're deep in Cincinnati territory. Let's go back to the phones. 1-800-919-3776. Doug's in LA. What's up, Doug? Hey, how's it going? It's a it's you guys are a miracle. I was just telling the girl who answered the phone. I wanted to. She says, "What are we talking about? What do you want to talk about?" The Knicks are a left-handed team. I work for the LA school district. I mm. work with a very famous basketball player who was on the Clippers. He's with the LA school district, and all year he says, "Look at the games." He's absolutely right. The Knicks are left-handed, and watch Oakley. You watch Oakley compared to Randall. Oakley was fast. Oakley was powerful. The only mm-hmm. thing that Randall really has, he has the outside shot if he's open, and if he goes inside the paint, 
he has to strong arm everything. And it's mm-hmm. almost like my next thing I wanted to talk about, I asked her if I could talk about my Giants. Sure. It's everything that Randall does is ugly, you know, and I'm not saying change it, but they need to do something. That I just guess I have to get to the point that Nick's team is not an NBA final team, you know, and, and if, uh, if I could talk about my Giants real sure. quick, Go ahead. Why, are, why are the Giants – why are they keeping some of these coaches that are up in the booth giving the plays? They keep going double A, single A, and then you've got some great. You've got Hyatt. They use them what twice in the game. You got Robertson twice in the game. Some of these guys are are very effective. They're not using except one or two times. It's pl- it's not it's not the playbook. It's the selective use of the playbook, and nobody's even talking about it on the radio except me, you know. And look at these kids. Look at the quarter. Look at the cornerbacks. I listen to the radio. I don't. I'm so disgusted. I I have to turn the game off. I listen to Carl Banks. Everything out my mouth. Carl Banks says five seconds later. These <laughs> cornerbacks, they're just stiff. They're all in the secondary, and they're just they're not bending their knees. What are they teaching these kids? And I'll go a step further, and this is the most important thing I have to say. I talked to the vice president of the Players Union about six years ago. I got him on the phone. He hung up on me. You know why? I said, you guys have ruined the game. People don't know this fact. How many minutes is our players are allowed to be in practice with their pads on? Lombardi, as much as I hated Lombardi and Landry because I'm a Giant fan, they mm-hmm. had those guys from 8 in the morning till 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Do you know the answer? I'll bet you don't. You ready for the answer? Go ahead. Tell me, 45 Doug. minutes. Yeah. 45 minutes the players' union has ruined it. Think about all the party in football. There's only basically – and this year, I used to go to six teams as, as of five years ago. I said there's only six good teams in the league. Now you got it narrowed down to really three. Well, I'll say this, Doug, and, and thanks for the phone call. You made some interesting points. Uh, let's take the last one first. There are some former players who will say to you, and matter of fact, I don't have to say, I can tell you, Bart Scott used to say it when he was with the Jets. And I remember having a conversation with him. He now works with Bart, uh, uh, now works with Alan Hahn, you know, Monday through Friday here from noon to three. But I remember having that conversation with Bart to say that, you know what, they missed the fact that they needed to be in pads more because they felt that during training camp that helped build your the calluses for your body so that during the season your body would be able to uh, deal with injuries a little better than you, than you do now because you don't have the pads and you don't do that during the during a training camp. And of course you don't do it as much during the regular season either. So there are some players who agree with that. There are some who don't. So I think it's individually based, but you know, maybe that is a, a function of it. Uh, you talk about the giant secondary giant secondary is young and yet you coach them up. You try to coach them up as best you can, but you know, they've had some issues where they've, they've not been able to do. They haven't executed what their game plan has been. However, what they have been able to do, Doug is, when, and this is maybe why uh, Wink Martindale loves to blitz even more, is the fact that because of the speed, they love the fact that he can get there. That he that he has, uh, you know, when he blitzes, those guys get there. So he's used them in a different way. Um, when we talk about 
the situation with the Knicks, duh. Everybody knows this Knicks, this Knicks team is not a finals team. <laughs> Even the Knicks know they're not a finals team. Now, you can't sit there, all right, let me see. When we list the teams in the finals that could go to the finals, the Knicks are not there. There might be fans who think they can get there under the scenario of look what happened to Miami last year. That Miami was a playing winner and got all the way to the conference finals. So there are those who are like, you know, listen, they were able to do it. So you never know how things can shape up in a perfect world where everything goes right. But no, when you look at this roster, this is not a roster of teams that's going to the finals. And lastly, Julius Randle will never be the rebounder that Charles Oakley was. Okay? And yet he, his shot is, is uh, better, a little more consistent than Oakley. But Oakley was, Oakley was physical, but not the way that Randall's physical. And Oakley was more physical. But he was just, he, he, he's a totally different player. It's a totally, he was a totally different player. Great rebounder. And we, we're not even going to discuss about defense. Not even going to discuss the defense. Because Oakley far and away. Far and away. And the mid-range jumper for Oakley, underrated. Underrated. Richardson, Manhattan. Hey, Richard. Larry, thank God for the Jets. We're four and three and still interested. Imagine that. Who would have thought that without Aaron Rodgers? They're You're engaging. Right. I mean, I mean, I'm not going to rate a performance as long as we win or keep things interesting or be competitive. Mm-hmm. Still in the race, still in the hunt. Got it. And uh, it's great. Yep. I mean, I'm looking forward so much. And what happened to Daniel Jones today, I've never oh. seen in all my years in football. Have you ever seen that backpedaling? That's tough. Yeah, ever? I know. I know. <laughs> not even touch, not even being threatened to touch. No, no. I mean, Just we've seen point. running backs cut and tear something or break something. but yeah. that And that's only been recent in the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. But in the old days, you never saw a running back or a wide receiver get hurt untouched. No. I mean, wow. It's unbelievable. And the NBA season, is far, it's early after all. But right now, to me, close the season now. I'll take right now Boston, Milwaukee, and Golden State, Denver. And that's okay. enough. That's enough for me, boy. That'll keep me engaged. So uh, it's still early with the Knicks. Don't worry. Let's see what happens. He may be hurt. He doesn't want to say anything, Julius Randle. Give him the benefit of the doubt. Mm -hmm. He's played too well for us for too long. So let's just hope everything works out. Larry, always a pleasure. Thank you, All right, Richard. You got it. Thanks for checking in. Like I said earlier, this is (laughs) – no Jet fan would have thought 4-3 and without Aaron Rodgers at this point. No, No Jet fan. No Jet fan. None. Now you've got now you've got questions. Well, you know, if if Rogers comes back at the end of the season and you know, if Rogers healthy at the end of the season, do you play him or do you play Zach? I mean <laughs> that's what it's come to now. Because the team is winning. And I get it. You're looking you're positively looking ahead. Positively looking ahead. And if you're a Jet fan, you should. Enjoy it. Enjoy the ride. Now, personally, 
if I were a Jets fan, I would not be rushing Aaron Rodgers back behind a, I don't know what defense, I don't know what offensive line we've got. Okay, I don't know if I'd be rushing him back for that. Where now I get him hurt again, and hypothetically going into next season, he's not ready at the beginning of the season. I don't know about that. Right now, I just think my suggestion to Jet fans, take it one game at a time. Enjoy the ride. Enjoy the luck that you've had so far. Enjoy it. Enjoy the fact that you're in you're in a good spot in the first half of the season again. That's what you enjoy. Just 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 ride with it. Ride with it. Don't worry about the end of the season. Don't worry about next season. Just just worry about what your team has to do tomorrow night. Take the same approach that your team takes. One game at a time. That's it. And Richard's right. You know? And unfortunately, the Giants have... And how about this? Uh, an, An unfortunate injury, untouched, and it wasn't at MetLife, so we don't have to hear this conversation about the turf again. Because if it was Met, you know, oh, that MetLife turf, oh, my God, they just changed it. It's still bad. Oh, we, grass. We got to put grass in. Oh, it's just terrible. So this, you can't blame MetLife Stadium for this one, unfortunately. And hopefully it's not what is feared for Daniel Jones. In case you're just tuning in, Daniel Jones left the game early and the Giants lost to the Raiders because he had a non-contact knee injury and they fear it's a torn ACL. We'll know tomorrow when the MRI is is in. Uh, But the other point that Richard made, look, it is early. And if the Knicks had made some free throws and the Knicks had, you know, had some some shots fall in from some other folks, even though Julius Randle has been struggling, they would be four and two. But now that's behind them. Now the question is, and with all great coaches, this is what you want to see. All right. What are the adjustments? What are they going to do offensively? Now, with R.J. Barrett back, as I mentioned earlier, hopefully that he's, you know, will be able to pick up where he left off and will still be, you know, uh, in the rhythm and everything okay with his knee. Uh, Now you've got somebody that can help with the scoring. And if Randall, now there's no pressure on Randall. Randall can pick his spots and you can get him rolling. That'll be a good thing. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, this this Clippers team coming in now with Harden and Russell Westbrook, and, you know, with the Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. How, how does that work? It's going to be interesting to see how that works. And really, when you think about it, it's it's almost the same thought process as it was when Harden came to the Nets. In the sense of, if we lose one of our guys, we have another guy that can step up offensively. Because if if history is a barometer, experience tells us that either Paul George or Kawhi Leonard or both are going to miss this likely to miss time this season because of injury, likely. 
And if they do, you now have another scorer to help bridge the gap between those guys missing. And that would be James Harden. Now, how does Harden work along with Westbrook? That's going to be a question uh, because Westbrook has been playing, was playing well. How does this affect the bench? Because your bench is compromised a little bit because you gave up some guys who were long defensively. You're not going to be the same team. You know, so, and what does this do in the postseason? But once again, those are all problems that Ty Lue's got to figure out, not Larry Hardesty. Jay Bromley joins us next. We talk NFL on 98.7 ESPN.